You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Okay, well, let's uh, jump on the second half of, uh, what is it, chapter 5, starting on page 96. Jamie, would you pray for us? Sure. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, um, for the opportunity to get to know each other and fellowship and learn from this book, Conscience. And God, we just pray that we can calibrate our own consciences to be more unified, God. And we thank you. Just thank you for today. We pray that this is a great day. We pray for uh, the sermon today, God. And we just Pray that you be with us this morning as we discuss conscience and just give us your wisdom and understanding and uh, understand one another better. So, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So we're right in the in the in the middle of the most practical part, I think, of the book. Earlier was practical as well as we just kind of examined our own consciences, but now we get into uh, how we interact with each other and love one another. So uh, we have that chart on page 94 that we spent a good amount of time discussing last week. Um, And so now 12 principles for how to disagree with other Christians on disputable matters on page 96. So that's, that's where we'd like to start. Um, Any, any highlights as we go through insights, questions? I think they were all great points. I think it was maybe number five stuck with me, and that was the one, assume that the other side, the weak Christian, let's say, is still doing that to glorify God. So in other words, assume the best of them. I know in our marriage counseling, when we were first getting started, they talked about how the marriages that last, the other partner assumes the best of their partner and that's what makes a marriage last so that, that stuck with me because that's if we do that then clearly we'll have easier time offering grace and, and accepting yes well said Where, where's that number five at you were- page 106 at the top Am I right? Is it number five? You're correct. You're right. Yep. Well, you memorized the book. I'm impressed. Well, it's at the office, but that one really stuck with me. Yep. Yeah, that's a, hu- a huge one. Assume that others are partaking or refraining for the glory of God. So. There was a line in the second paragraph on that that says, wouldn't it be amazing to be in a church where everyone gave each other the benefit of the doubt on these differences instead of putting the worst possible spin on everything? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think our world just lives in is our world is always putting the worst possible spin on, you know, the opposing side. And so it really, it's not natural. We have to really work at that. Yeah. I think it is kind of curious how, if you get into like sort of conflict, um, you can so easily not only like 
get sort of wrapped around the axle over the actual argument, but then you can sort of, you start to think like, oh man, they really are, you know, things that have nothing to do in one sense with the actual issue uh, that, you know, you start thinking about why they want to do this, you know, and often you do tend to, you can villainize uh, people. Uh, and you read into everything. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the other things that was striking just thinking about it in this same section was that, um, that, and I think that he, maybe it's another part of the chapter as well, but essentially that both sides can glorify God. It's, this is not like, a, um, one side glorifies God and the other side has to, what's the word, um, conform, right? This is a curious situation where both can glorify God. Yeah, it's, it's like you were saying, Justin, when Paul defines weak and strong in faith, he's just talking about a specific issue, not weak or strong in their faith in Christ, the core fundamentals. I guess that's why this is a tier three issue. But agreed. <clears throat> My question is how you resolve when people put things in When what? Like, when you read that? How do you resolve when people put things in different tiers? Like, because I think that it's one thing that it's much easier if you both think it's a tier three issue to then be like, yeah, this is how we should relate to each other. But I think it's hard when there's people that put it in tier three, so it's tier two or, or even one. And then the, I think that's where the a lot of times the conflict is not so much over the issue itself, but even how important it is. Right. That, that's what I highlighted on 102. Is that, I think, then you get into the case of like a subculture on like the first, second sentence on the top of 102, it says subculture can develop within a church in which a majority of the people hold particular views on a group of third level issues when I think when the whole church holds that view and keeps it so stringent it becomes more of like a first level or second level and people don't want to join that church when a whole group of that is kind of made like a click of this something that's not really important Yeah, I think I think you put your finger on the issue there, Melody. Is that yeah? When what when you have disagreement over the uh, the importance of an issue, yeah, I do think that that's you know that is a a hard thing to try to resolve. <laughs> I will say I think after reading this book, especially, and I agree with the tears. If I were to have a conversation with someone like that, I would probably start with you know you and I believe in the fundamentals. We believe that Christ rose from the dead is, you know, sacrificial for our sins. And, and we, you know, maybe we do or do not believe in the second tier fundamentals. You may be Episcopalian, I may be Baptist, but we still believe in the first and then start talking about whatever issue it is and see if we can't resolve that as a lower issue. Just kind of define it for them. Right. Yeah. I think sometimes when people elevate a third level issue to a second or first, 
it might reveal that they don't really have a good grasp of some of the fundamentals, maybe, possibly, not always, but it could be that they are kind of still caught in a works-based belief, even if they wouldn't necessarily articulate it. And I don't know, I just think you need to be super gentle with that. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that's where, you know, a statement of faith and the confessions and that kind of stuff are helpful because I think that's sort of what that's trying to sort out is what are the first and second tier issues. Um, and so hopefully a good, some of the great confessions of faith, I think down through history and then, you know, a church's own statement of faith is basically it's a ranging of, of first and second tier issues. Um, and then sometimes I think your church covenant, like I know that there's some church covenants, some Baptist church covenants, maybe others as well, that um, you can't be a member if you ever consume any alcohol. And to me, it'd be like, well, that's that's sort of elevating what I think is a third tier issue um, to a second tier. And now. You, you cut out for a second. So oh, back up a sentence. <laughs> back up a sentence. Yeah, I was just saying that in some Baptist churches, in their church covenant, is an ab abstaining entirely from alcohol. Um, or I know that some churches, it's like, unless you're homeschooling your kids, you can't be a member of the church. And so, to me, I think that's an overreach. Like, that's now making, I think, a, sec a third-tier issue a second-tier issue. Um, and to me, I think that would be stepping over the line there. But I do think that our, our statement of faith, our, our covenant, those kinds of things are, are defining... Uh, in general, what the first and second tier issues are of this particular fellowship, and hopefully doing so charitably and understanding that you talk to any particular member, they might have it a little bit differently calibrated, but for the most part, this is how we operate as a church. And so I think we're actually doing that all the time. And uh, I was actually doing that quite a bit in our trainings, was try, <laughs> kinda trying to uh, calibrate us all to be um, clear on the first and second tier and, um, you know, it, it's messy. It's not always exactly right, but that, that was part of what we were doing early on and I think continually do. And as we bring members in, as they read through the statement of faith and we walk through things, figuring out how they're, how they're ranking doctrines and, um, and then also going, well, at this church, this will be the boundaries of our fellowship. This will be what we build ourselves around. And um, so I don't know if that makes sense, but there's a lot of practicality to this in terms of like, how we actually function as a church. I appreciated all the questions at the top of 107. Um, I was talking with Krista on Monday and we were just talking about how sometimes something that you're free to do might in certain circumstances you know, be unwise or be maybe even sinful just because of the context and who it might be harming and things like that. And so I thought those questions were helpful for that. Yeah. I think going back, just thinking a little more about Melody's question, I think that first order issues are obvious, are those ones that you must believe to be a Christian. Like if you deny that one, then it's really hard to tell if you're a Christian. So the deity of Jesus, the reality of the resurrection, you know, those would be first order things. I think your second order are that next layer out that um, 
you could be wrong on those and still be a Christian, but there's something about the nature of those that they sort of protect the first order ones, if that makes sense. Um, and so I think maybe if you're discussing with someone over, you know, maybe they're making a third tier issue, a second tier issue, to try to reason with them and go, to get that wrong, does that threaten a first order issue? Does the, if we continue consistently down that path, are we, um, are we in some ways undermining a first order thing? So I wonder if that wouldn't be the way to go. Is that maybe it's a third tier issue if to get it wrong doesn't threaten a first tier issue. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Would that kind of make sense? So I think you'd have to work through that together. Like, you know, um, and even that, I guess, is always open for debate because someone might be able to make the case that it would, but um, I don't know if there's any, any, any easy way through it, but just trying to think through those second tier issues are kind of meant to protect the first tier issues in some ways, like, um, and why I think a church needs to agree mostly on the second tier issues because that's how they're seeing the gospel advance in their area. I guess I'm curious with like first and second tier, I think they mentioned second tier being like whether you can work together on mission. It seems to me there's depending what you're doing that can vary, you know, like a, whether you can be a church together or whether you can just an evangelism event together or something might look different. But I guess I'm curious, like, with first-tier issues, I guess there's, like, those people that in that Paul talks about, like, false, they're, like, I don't know if he would call them false teachers, but that, like, their ministry is pretty much, like, it says they'll, they'll enter heaven, but through fire and every, like, all their work is going to be destroyed. Like, is that, like, that there could be people that maybe have something a little bit off on the first tier, but they really are trusting in Christ. And so, or is that like, is first tier issues mean like, if you don't believe this, you are not, you can't be saved. Like, I guess that's my question. Like, <laughs> sometimes I don't know where to put things like, okay, is the Bible, the inerrancy of the Bible, a first tier issue? If you put it there, I don't know that I would say that anyone who doesn't believe in that is not a Christian. Or like they can't be saved, but I do think it's like a super important issue for like. Yep. Yeah, I would say. Wow. Yeah, I think the inerrancy of scripture would be a second tier issue. I think there are Christians who um, either define that wrongly or maybe disregard. I mean, didn't wasn't it Luther that didn't like James? <laughs> you know, so some of our heroes actually had some, uh, you know, um, so I think you could be a genuine Christian and get and be wrong on how you're viewing the Bible in some ways. Um, but that would make me really nervous and I would have a hard time allowing someone to be a member or any sort of leader in the church if they're just wholesale denying certain aspects of scripture. You know, that would be a hard thing like, okay, I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but the fact that you, you know, um, the fact that you're undermining what we're trying to teach here, this may not be the best church for you, you know, so. Um, so that would be a second tier, like, man, you're going to have a hard time here because um, you're going to be working absolutely directly against the leadership. And so we wish you well. We hope that you change your mind, but this would be a hard church if we're, if we're going to conflict over that. I don't know if that makes sense. but It always makes me nervous people believe certain parts of the Bible because they're believing maybe the easier parts or the parts yeah. that they would believe and not believing the difficult parts, the parts that 
call them out that ask for them to repent. That that always makes me nervous. It's funny because, you know, Melody and Josh, you guys just said that's a second tier issue. It's almost, and I don't know whether this is allowed or not, it's almost kind of a first tier issue for me, you know, in my conscience for reading this book. I don't know whether I'm allowed to decide what tiers I get or not. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. <laughs> sure you are. It's kind of a, I'd almost put it as like 1D. It's that important. Yeah. It seems there's too many I've, I've, we've been around so many Christians, especially in a large mega church in Atlanta that chose to believe certain parts of the Bible and it almost became false teaching. I mean, it yeah. actually was. <clears throat> yeah. I, I think, I think, yeah, it, 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 there, I think there are some doctrines that might be higher second tier and lower tier. Like we could probably keep subdividing this. And I think you make a good point there. I think that, you know, the point of a second tier issue is to get this wrong really does threaten I think a first tier issue. And so, yeah, if you're, you might genuinely be leaving, be believing in Jesus, but the, but your belief about uh, the inerrancy of scripture might slowly, and it almost always chips away at a first order doctrine to the end, you know, and, th and that's what we've seen in denominations is that, you know, you start, you get in, you get wobbly on that. You might still affirm the apostles creed in full. You might still affirm, you know, first Corinthians 15, but you give it a generation or two of that, and I think you're going to lose the resurrection. I think you're going to lose the sinlessness of Jesus. I think you're going to lose because, um, you know, so um, I think that's part of what makes a, a second-tier issue, at least one way a second-tier issue is like, you can, get, you can be wrong on this one, but it's not going to take you very long before all of a sudden you're undermining mm -hmm. a first tier. And particularly within a denomination, I think we have a lot of history there where, um, um, to get a particular issue wrong sometimes has a chain reaction up the, mm -hmm. up the, and, and so that might be why some people see a certain third tier issue as higher is because they go, I've just seen people who affirm this end up then this domino falls and then that one falls. And so it's kind of how, how closely connected is it to a first tier issue? So I think one of the things that kind of goes along in this discussion, I think we talked about this before, but. Uh, yeah, I think there's also a distinction we made between, as Josh kind of noted, between who's in leadership and what they're teaching and instructing versus beliefs that, you know, say someone, it's definitely a different, there's definitely a different uh, impact, say, if you have an elder in a church who doesn't hold to inerrancy, but the church teaches inerrancy versus having just someone in the congregation maybe who's just moved to the area, you know, they're not, they just love the preaching or whatever, but they don't hold to inerrancy. There's a different impact that holding that belief will have uh, sure. upon the church itself. Um, so I think that's another factor. And I think it's unreasonable for a newer believer to, to expect that they've got that worked out, you know. Um, so I think there needs to be, and I think we try to do this in our membership class and that kind of stuff is just go, hey, this is what we believe. We're going to try to persuade you to believe this as well. But we understand that you're newer to this. Maybe you've never thought about this. Maybe you've been raised differently. And so just letting the regular teaching of God's word, like, we just need to know that you're not going to actively resist this and that you're willing to be teachable in this. And so, um, yeah, that's a, I think, particularly on a lot of the second tier issues, there's been, I think that the disposition of the person matters a lot. And are you willing to be, and just know that if, you know, if you're going to have any sort of teaching ministry in this, you need to wholeheartedly embrace this. Yeah. Um, whether that's inerrancy or the inspiration of scripture or something like that going, Hey, 
you know, it's okay. You can certainly be a member of this church and be working that out. But just so you know, this is where we're headed. Um, we don't see ourselves changing on this. And so, um, anyway, we, we, we hope that over time we can persuade you. <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. There's a, the level of influence within the church does, does cause there to be maybe difference, different, different, um, levels of conviction on certain things. And just another thing, the fact that we're, you know, we're not the only church in town, I think in some ways allows us to be just a little more defined in some of those ways. Like if we were in the middle of Baghdad and we were the only place that they went, you know, the only opportunity that someone had, there might be certain things that you would, you know, so I think the context matters a little bit too. Like I do think this is a second tier issue, but this is the only place they can worship, you know. Um, but here in Rapid City, here in Rapid City, it's like, hey, you know, uh, we're happy that you're here, but there's actually a church that preaches the gospel faithfully that you might just align with better. And we're not them. They're not us. And so I think sometimes it's a loving thing to be able to go, hey, we're, you know, we're not, we're not saying you can't come here. We're just saying that, you know, there's a, there's a leadership out there that kind of aligns a little bit better. And I think you might just find yourself more productive in that church. So that was one thing I was actually wondering as I was we were reading this chapter, is when you have a diversity of churches where in theory, you you know there might be that better fit, right? Mm -hmm. What's the necessity of these principles, right? If you could just send people in one sense to the church that fits their position better than yours, um, what's the value of having? working through this kind of stuff, right? It seems like you could potentially just be like, ah, this is a little, getting a little complicated, this working this stuff out. And why don't you just, you know, you know, the temptation I think would be just like, oh, I'll just go someplace that works better with what I believe. You know, how do yeah. it seems like Paul thinks like this is stuff that Christians should work through, not just like follow your preference, you know? I, I don't know how to think about that. Well, and then yeah, that's a good point. Once, like, because he talks about when churches become kind of these subcultures of like you have these different groups that ha hold all these third tier issues maybe in common, so that they're mm -hmm. second tier issues. And if you just like, it's easy to just go there and feel comfortable if you don't have someone that disagrees. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. That's that's a good point. I think it's hugely important to have people challenging your challenging you on your third tier ideas because otherwise you I think you do elevate them in your own mind if nobody that you can see truly loves God is also differing from you. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I just what came to my mind is just, you know, like Austin Brummer, you know, he and I might I, I don't know that either one of us is going to persuade the other one on baptism. I just don't think we are. And the fact that we can be in two totally different churches, faithful churches preaching the gospel, maybe in some ways is a bit of a cop-out. <laughs> like We don't have to kind of sit down and really hammer this out because we both can find good gospel preaching churches. And is that a strength or a weakness? That's, that's hard. I guess that's hard to say, you know, because we can just sort of sidestep it and not really work through it and kind of give some friendly jabs here or there or try to have some intramural sparring on, uh, on what baptism is, is supposed to be in the New Testament. Um, but yeah, I think maybe you make a point there, the fact that we do have such a... Um, but that's a second-tier issue. You know what I mean? Baptism 
I think is second tier. You can't really be in the same church, but I think third tier issues is where you really need people to be diverse. And yeah. 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 I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm open there, I guess to go. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's a, I, I do think that third tier issues are a bad reason to leave a church. Second tier issues, you know, if someone is is denying the inspiration of scripture, you know, if the preacher is doing that, is undermining that, like, man, I, I think if you've got another option, you should go. <laughs> if you've got no other option, then you should probably stay and work for good. Maybe you should stay and work for good. I, you know, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I think it's hard to, and maybe it's hard to draw a hard and fast line that a Christian must always do X when it's like, well, maybe that's just not my position to do. Like, maybe staying within and reforming from within is the right thing for some, but also kind of peacefully exiting and doing something else, you know, that's a, that's a hard thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I do think, yeah, third tier issues, maybe you should try to stay and work through as much as possible. Second tier issues, especially if they're pretty deeply embedded and it's going to be hard to persuade, that might be, um, yeah, it gets hard. <laughs> we don't have a nice, easy way to try to work these things out, so. Mm-hmm. But I think you make a good point, Justin, that maybe the fact that you can just move someone, everyone can find their own flavor of church. And maybe that, maybe that does hinder. Um, it gives us too easy of an out sometimes. Pastorally, I'll try to like, I'll try to feel that out of like, is this someone who just, you know, is kind of open to thinking about this? Or are they pretty set on this? And it's just going to be it's just going to create tension in the church. Um, yeah. You know, so that's sometimes an inexact science there, but. I wonder if like, I guess I'd say we were sort of talking about this this week unrelated to the book, but like I grew, I grew up on the East coast in a small college town where it was just hard to be a Christian. There wasn't a lot of Christians. All the churches were pretty small. So there was like a lot of, like you pretty much knew it was pretty easy to know most of the Christians around from all the different churches. So there, there was definitely a lot more like, I get, I don't know that I would say unity, like, but just like churches would work together that around here in Rapid City are like, would not work together at all. Right. Probably like, um, so I'm curious, I just wonder if maybe some of it would be like in a broader way, like maybe people would fit better in the churches, but if the churches work together so that people are still being exposed to each other. And I, I don't know if that's like another way to think about it. Cause you can do, there's certain things that a church has to do that's preaching and teaching, but then if you do certain kinds of events together, even just like the main street square thing with South Canyon, well, obviously there's like a lot of unity with South Canyon, but like with other churches, say like even Austin, Austin's church or whatever, like there's big differences, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of unity. And if the churches somehow work together, then the people in the churches are exposed to each other and have to encounter these kinds of third, second, third tier issues in ways that you wouldn't have to if you just kind of stay in your own bubble. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Seems like we have it pretty easy nowadays if there's many churches because like in Paul's context when he's preaching, he doesn't really have that because isn't he preaching to like one church like at the church at Corinth or the 
church at Philippi. Or Philippi, yep. Like, yep. Or, yeah. So, like, is there, or I don't know, in like Rome, maybe there's multiple churches, but they're all. So there's really not a good example of that in the Bible where people have an option to go to another church. They have to work out their issues. So uh, nowadays, yeah. yeah, we can just like, so that must have been really hard back then. To, I don't know when, like baptism, when did they start doing infant baptism? Was it always, not always infant baptism or they always baptized Christians right away? So was that something that they had to deal with? Yeah, that's uh, that's that's the whole point of the question. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's like, yeah. yeah so I it, just it has I, to I do just, a lot with how you read the household baptisms is a big part of it, and how how you see baptism connecting to circumcision in the Old Testament and the signs yeah. of the covenants, and um, and then yeah, certain how you kind of interpret certain church history evidence from early first and second centuries, like how did this develop, what was happening, yeah, so. That's right. You put your finger kind of on the point of the debate there. It's like, you know, the Baptists would say, I don't see any evidence for any infant baptism in the New Testament. And the yeah. Presbyterian or, or Lutheran or, or others who affirm that would go, oh, I see it. Here it is. Here it is. And uh, look at the theological connections. And if you look back, it's, you know, there's, there's evidence fairly quickly that they were doing it. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a tricky thing. And that's part of why there's such an impasse is it's like, uh, neither one has kind of the, the Trump card. They both think they do, but both yeah. sides kind of go, you know, but it's, it's, a it's, it's, a yeah. So that's. Well, I was just interested to know if that was like one of the divisions in the early church, no. like the church at Corinth, were they doing both? Were they doing infant baptism and, and then that created divisions and as Paul like really doesn't get into that kind of stuff, I guess. And what, yeah. What division, what specific divisions they had to deal with as if there was only one church, there could have been a lot of divisions, but they had nowhere else to go. Yeah. It doesn't seem like baptism was, was an issue uh, in the new Testament times because it's just not brought up. And, um, and so um, at least not in any clear way, but there are like in first Corinthians, you have issues over um, spiritual gifts yeah. All gets that to work that out. You've got Jew and Gentile issues. You've got meat sacrifice to idols. And so um, that's what Paul's getting at. And from the very beginning, I think this is important. Like in the beginning in chapter one and two, he talks about the foolishness of preaching and he talks about the message that he preached. So he's, he's very much like the gospels at the center. And then at the end, after discussing all these issues in, in first Corinthians 15, he says, I want to remind you of first importance, you know, so he is, he does expect that the gospel would be a first order issue, but he's willing to weigh down into second and third tier issues. Um, things like the Lord's Supper, things like whether someone should remain single or get married. Like I think first Corinthians has a, um, has a lot of helpful things to go. How do you, how do you rank these issues? What are the make or break things? What are the kind of put up with each other things? And what are the things like you just need to stop that? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, so 1 Corinthians, actually, maybe that would be a good one to preach through sometime. Um, it doesn't answer all the questions, but but it does give us that Paul has that framework, I think, that there are matters of first importance. There are matters of, like, hey, you're taking of the Lord's Supper. you got to get that right. Like, you've got you've to do that the right way because that's a, that's a major thing. Um, 
And then there's other things like spiritual gifts going like, man, you know, who cares what spiritual gift you have if you don't have love, you know? So, um, and then like in Romans, there's clearly a division uh, between Jews and Gentiles in terms of meat in, in Romans 14. And Paul's solution is not, there should be a meat-eating church and there should be a non-meat-eating church, which would be probably the American way to do it, right? <laughs> and, but he doesn't. He doesn't say that. You've got to bear with each other in this. And so, um, and I think that's kind of getting back to Justin's point there is that yeah. uh, never does Paul go, you know what, just agree to disagree. And, um, you know, um, he doesn't do that in Galatia. There should be law-keeping Christians and there should be non-law-keeping Christians just form two churches and two denominations. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to do that, do with that. Yeah, there's a lot of specific examples, but not like specific examples where they actually split because there was only the one church. That's kind of what I was getting at is like they had to work through these issues because right. there was only one church. Right. Now, now Paul and Barnabas split over the issue of John Mark. Should John Mark yeah. be part of that? So you do have people parting split. ways, but I don't know. Like, uh, true. Yeah. That, that splitting actually seems, I think you're supposed to take that as sort of like a, not a positive. Uh, oh. It definitely no. seems like no. hints is like that that's sort of a sad moment. Uh, right. So yeah, and the two of them, yeah, it says a sharp disagreement. And it doesn't really indicate who was wrong, although I tend to think that Paul's affirmation of John Mark later on makes me think Paul had a change of heart. Mm -hmm. Barnabas certainly seems to be the guy who's the more compassionate, take a chance, kind of encourager kind of guy. He's the one that brings Paul into the apostles you know, in, into the inner circle. And so Barnabas seems to be the, the, Paul seems to be a little bit more no nonsense, but um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's a, that's a, that's an interesting one. So you do have a, but that's certainly not seen as a positive. I don't think, although I think the Lord used it. Yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, it gets tricky. You know, we, we live in a, in a strange land where we can, um, where we can um, assemble according to our consciences, you know? So the idea of like first amendment kind of freedoms where, you know, the freedom to assemble is totally foreign to the rest of history, you know? So the fact that we can all of a sudden just go off and start our own church, you know, that has whatever distinctives we want um, has had some benefits and it has some real liabilities. You know, that's why America is such a good fruitful place for cults to develop. <laughs> and spread around the world is that people can do what they want here. Yeah. And uh, I think the alternative's worse, you know, for there to be like a, a state church that mandates everything. I think that's worse, but um, we as sinners can, can do a lot of, a lot of different things. So. All right. We should probably conclude. Sorry, you got me going there. There's a lot to think about. There is, but I also want to just go back to the fact that this whole chapter was about us relating to people that we disagree with and not yeah. thinking about how to split from them. And right. so just over and over, it talks about laying down your rights or considering how your actions affect others and things like that and not being selfish. And so, I mean, I think that's really the takeaway here. Think the best of people and then don't be selfish and, um, you know, just kindness, basically. So. Right.
Yep. And what you do individually with other Christians, we're talking on kind of a big scale in terms of churches and denominations and stuff, but that yeah. doesn't absolve us from the low, you know, the, the ground level of like, how do I love my neighbor? How do I get along with my wife? <laughs> you know, how do I get along with my fellow church member? Um, so that's a good point. Way to bring us back, Bree. Didn't want you to miss it. It's good. Okay, I'll close us in prayer, and uh, I actually think I'm going to use this uh, this prayer at the end of his end of the chapter as part of my prayer of confession today. Um, so you might recognize it. That's that's most of what pastoral ministry is. It's just clever plagiarism. Yeah, if you're coming up with your own stuff, that's a bad thing. Right, let's pray. God, we thank you for this time and for this discussion, and there's much more that we could work through and need to work through. Lord, I pray that we would take to heart the encouragements that are put in this book of how we should relate to one another. And Lord, I pray that we would depend on, be dependent on your spirit. Um, even these principles are kind of beyond our ability to grasp and implement on our own. And so Lord, we need your help. Give us wisdom to know um, how to relate to one another and how to give grace. Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction uh, when we're, um, when we're, we're being unfair or uncharitable or unhelpful to a brother or sister, help us to know, Lord, when we're wrong um, and need to, uh, to change our hearts, our attitudes, our actions. And Lord, I pray that you'd also give us wisdom to know when we need to have a conversation with a brother or sister and just try to work through some things and for their good, not to try to vindicate ourselves and not to try to make them feel bad, but just for their good and for our good, Lord. So I pray that we would assume the best, that we would seek one another's good, and that uh, these principles that we've learned here today would become um, part of the culture of our church. Um, so Lord, we, we ask for your help in that and just pray for our worship service here in a few minutes. Lord, that you would be glorified and we would be edified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you guys. See you soon. Yep. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.